and welcome everyone to episode 178 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by Ryan and Paul. And uh, right as I signed on to this little uh, online video session here, Ryan was complaining about the Badgers basketball officiating. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a great mood. Uh, well, I hate to see Paul watched again. it. I did not watch it, thank goodness. I I really I like Padre basketball and I used to watch it religiously. It just time is scarce these days. So and I'm glad because all I see is complaining about it all the time. I feel like right. I missed there, nothing. There there were certainly better ways to spend your Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So. I feel like I do a Boborowski podcast for the five minutes before this podcast pretty much every time. So. <laughs> that is pretty, okay, what he pretty much what it is. Yeah. So he was uh oh, yeah. he's he's really special. I, I went and I did a deep dive. You can check my Twitter account for the exact numbers, but oh, God. <laughs> it it is something when I actually I, I had to go back and triple check the numbers and be like, is that all like truly accurate? And yep, it was. So, yeah, that, he's yeah, he's special, man. That that is uh, at RD top on Twitter for all your Bo Borowski <laughs> needs. We'll start the Bo Borowski podcast. Uh, don't think we'll put that one behind the paywall, but we'll no, see. it would just be me screaming. Like I would yeah. like yeah. just a primal scream for, you know, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I tweeted this too, but like watch him like be the official for their first round NCAA tournament game. And then you just know, you know, it, it's bad when you get Greg guard to emote about anything. And, and he was dropping swear words and mm-hmm. oh, was he was bad. really mad. Yeah. I, I was surprised he lost his cool that much. So, but I'm happy uh, for it. Yeah. It needed yeah. to happen. Maybe it was uh, anger through osmosis being that close to Fran. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, We actually have baseball stuff to talk about because Brewers went and made another signing. Uh, After a week of kind of rumors and stuff around uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., he actually signed uh, with the Brewers. Two years, $24 million. But it's actually kind of more like a one-year deal because he's got the opt-out after this year. Uh, his free agent market never really developed this winter, which is kind of weird considering, you know, he's, he's a, actually a really good outfielder, uh, especially good defensively can hit a little bit, you know, but plays all three positions in the outfield, really good defender, but he already lands on a Brewers team that seemed to have its outfield situation pretty well figured out. So of course that led to a whole lot of, uh, Oh, is Lorenzo Cain getting traded? Is Avi Garcia getting traded? That kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, we we got some questions about how these he, these uh, plate appearances will shake out, but I guess we'll start Ryan first. What does he provide, and where do you see him fitting in into that outfield rotation? Well, I think that's exactly what it is. It's a rotation where Yelich will get you would think pretty consistent playing time throughout the year. Injuries aside, and he usually does at least come up with a couple of injuries, kind of in the Ryan Braun way back in you know even two thousand nine, two thousand ten, like that, where he would miss a little bit of time with some sort of strained oblique or something, maybe not even end up on the DL, but he would just be out of the lineup for a few days here and there. And you can kind of count on that with Yelich as well. So I think that you're going to see them rotated in and out. And what occurred to me when I was thinking about this is that I don't know that it moves the Brewers ceiling much at all for the season. Like I don't think it increases so much the the amount of games they can win at the top end but I think it really does move the floor in a pretty significant way in that he's redundant in pretty much most ways to things they already have on this team (laughs) 
Like mm-hmm. he he gives you great outfield defense, especially in center field. Well, they have that with Lorenzo Cain. He gives you uh, some on base percentage, and they already have that in the outfield in Yelich and Cain, actually to a pretty large extent too. He does give you some left handed ability where maybe you know to to balance out Avi Garcia a little bit, and I would assume that he is going to cut into Garcia's playing time the most especially after Craig Council this week came out and said that uh, Lorenzo Cain is still his center fielder. Mm -hmm. So you would think that he ends up cutting mostly into Garcia's playing time, at least when they're all healthy. But the biggest thing is he just gives them this extra layer of protection from underperformance and injury that they didn't have before. The difference between, I guess, probably want to say now Avi Garcia is their fourth outfielder, probably, and the difference between <laughs> that and having Billy McKinney or like Daniel Robertson being your your fourth outfielder, that's monumental. That's absolutely massive. So I think right. that and when you think about this, if you, if you think that this raises the floor more than it raises the ceiling, is that OK? Is that a good way to spend money? Well, considering Pakota already had them, what, three games up in the division, I think mm-hmm. that raising the floor is pretty appropriate in that sort of situation where you're not necessarily if you already think you're kind of in the mix up at the top of the division at that point yeah you you do want to look to increase your floor and that's what they did here so that's really where I come down on this I think it it did a tremendous job of that and yeah I I don't expect necessarily to see him around but 13 million dollars and we don't know how much of it's deferred but we do know that at least part of it is deferred Uh, that is a perfectly reasonable amount of money to spend on a guy who quite frequently can get up north of three wins. So you're, you're really doing well there from that perspective as well. So I, it's pretty much a good move all around. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I, I might even go a little further than that. Um, I wonder not to get too conspiratorial, but um, I do wonder if they have the ball yet, because the one thing we know is that it's actually pretty easy to test the ball. If you have the ball, like, you know, people at baseball perspectives can do it with cameras. And um, if you know that there are going to be fewer home runs and balls and are going to die at the warning track more often, adding a defensive outfielder is a really good idea. Not that not that Garcia is bad. Yelich is not as good as he used to be. Um, that's good for late innings. And um, he does platoon. I mean, they, they do have that side of the bat covered out there with with Yelich, but being able to go lefty heavy um, is not bad, uh, especially in this park, as we talk about like literally every podcast. Um, <laughs> and Jackie Bradley is like his batting profile overall is not great. He's not a great offensive player, but in places like Miller Park, one of which is Fenway, he actually is a plus um, offensive player and he has good platoon splits for this kind of thing. So uh, they make it a little, little bit of a bump here with great defense to go with it. I agree. It's more of a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser, but the way that they mix and match players, like Council does great with his pitchers, but he does good with his hitters too. And he's a good manager to get the most out of Bradley to, to, as a defensive replacement late, um, as a situational lefty. Uh, that's exactly what you want, and that's what they've got here. Yeah, I guess 
Paul, how much of this do you see actually being a platoon? Like, is it a soft platoon, or how much? How do we, I, you see the the playing time shake out between? I him think and the, the whole Garcia? Brewers are are a soft platoon. Like, he will definitely be in there against lefties um, some of the time. They'll use it to give breaks. But when you at the end of the season, when you look back on their stats, um, he will mostly face right-handed pitching. Not all the time, but mostly. You know, it's not going to be strict. That's just how this. That's just how it'll end up breaking down. So. Like for everybody on the team, that's how it always operates. Um, everybody plays against some same side pitching. They, they they work in rest days and they work in things like that. They keep people fresh against same side pitching. But when you look at it at the end of the season, it's like two thirds, one third for everybody with platoon splits. Mm-hmm. And this does give them the ability to do that in center field, at least somewhat, and keep Lorenzo Cain fresher. And I think that's going to be a big priority here because he does wear down as the season goes on because the way he plays defensively, he is going to pick up knocks. He's he's not going to make it through unscathed, especially at his age. So this just gives them that extra layer of of added security. And we already saw this kind of uh, yep. like as this deal was being announced that sure same did. day, right? Like Lorenzo Cain's down for at least a couple of weeks this spring, right? Mm-hmm. So uh I, I, you know, I, I've seen the thing mentioned that maybe, you know, Lorenzo Kane now gets the Ryan Braun load management treatment, which I think is probably fair, you know, especially you want Lorenzo to be fresh by the end of the year. So this definitely allows them to do that and not really lose much of all of anything really at the top of the lineup. I mean, they yep. kind of similar skill sets, at least defensively, you know, Bradley gets on base, as you guys mentioned, at a really good clip. So, I mean, you could plug him in at the top of the lineup, but not really bat an eye. So, yeah, uh, you've it, got your Niger Morgan to go through Carlos Gomez. Worked out last time. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, so the issue of the playing time and how that all shakes out, and I guess kind of the ripple effects, the, the, the butterfly effect, I guess, of signing Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, is kind of our next topic. Uh, We'll get to our first Patreon question. It's from Jay Google because, of course, suck it, Steve. Suck it, Steve. Yes. Uh, so Jay is asking, is there enough at-bats to go around in the outfield? Also, are the Brewers hoping for Fisher, McKinney, anyone else kind of in that mix will accept their DFAs to AAA? Uh, so you guys kind of men- mentioned, you know, the Billy McKinney's of the world. Derek Fisher's another one that they picked up in the offseason. A lot of these guys don't have options, so it's, you know, opening day roster or probably lose them. But, you know, we're we're kind of coming off a really weird situation here where, you know, there was no minor league baseball last year and some of these guys might just be looking for work. So I guess, uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Do you see like the Fishers and McKitties of the world more willing to accept a DFA in that situation or uh, what's your thought on that? You know, it's it's hard to say. I think they're going to look at the landscape. Their agents are out there right now kind of evaluating what other possibilities exist for them, keeping an eye out. And if they feel like their best chance is to be the fifth or sixth outfielder for the Brewers, then they might stick around. But I certainly wouldn't expect both of them to if they're both not making their roster. <laughs> it would it would feel like, yeah, one of them might and, you know, one of them pretty much definitely wouldn't, you would think. But who knows? It, it all just depends on what other teams are interested and what what else is being offered to them? Yeah. It's really that. It, it, the fact that there's kind of two people in the same situation makes it kind of a prisoner's dilemma here. They, they may end up losing both for that actual very reason. <laughs> it's not like they can collude together and be like, oh, you're going to be the one who sticks around. I'm not. Um, 
But uh, the Brewers are not entirely unattractive, even with the outfield up there. They do shuttle between um, AAA and the big leagues more often than most teams. I don't know if that's attractive or not, actually. <laughs> but uh, it gets guys a cup of coffee more than they otherwise would sometimes. But but yeah, um, th- th- they have great outfield depth with this move. And um, I would, frankly, be looking for better opportunities if I were those folks. I guess a uh, follow-up question on that is, you know, obviously we've got our top four outfielders pretty much set in stone now here. Do you see, like the Brewers keeping a fifth guy, whether it's Fisher or McKinney, or, you know, do they kind of just go the Mark Mathias super utility route for that fifth <laughs> outfielder? Hard to imagine that they would. I, yeah. I really don't think they will. I think you're going to see, looking at roster resource right now, they just have the Brewers with four bench players, and that's mm-hmm. Pena, uh, Urias, uh, Daniel Robertson, and Avi Garcia. And it struck me when I looked at that that, wait, that's actually a really good bench. It is. It is <laughs> a good bench. Where it, it wasn't before. That Now, granted, that does include Travis Shaw starting at third base <laughs> and Jackie Bradley Jr. starting in right field. So maybe that isn't totally accurate, and we'll have to see how that actually does shake out. But there is some depth there that wasn't there before. And I guess we should expect that, considering that they brought in Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr., two pretty solid position players late in the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that will ask Eric Thames to play in the outfield pretty routinely. And so <laughs> they're perfectly happy to not have an, I mean, if they can save a bench spot in some capacity like that, they'll do it with outfielders this good. It, it just makes it even more likely than it normally would. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing, too, is this week, there's more and more talk that the uh, DH issue is dead. Yeah, that it is not happening this Ooh. year, which we didn't think was the case. We've nope. kind of gone on the assumption that it was going to happen. And it seems likely to not happen now. And that was with expanded playoffs too, right? Those came out together. Yeah, they basically said those. it's a done issue because MLB isn't going to give the players the DH unless they get their expanded playoffs. And the players are like, the expanded playoffs are worth many, many, many times more what the DH is. It's not uh-huh. an even trade, and we're not doing that, so piss off. <laughs> Uh, this has been this week's labor talk. Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, as predicted by the way, that they would not give anything for the DH right. because who cares? They all want it. They all and, want it. Yeah. And <laughs> Paul, like you said in recent weeks, it, it's no skin off the players backs. If they nope. don't get it now, cause it's going to happen eventually. So who really cares? Exactly. Right. All right. Uh, next Patreon question still dealing with the Jackie Bradley jr. Signing comes from Philip Schumacher. I think you guys kind of touched at this a little bit, kind of talking about how it raises the floor, but maybe not necessarily the ceiling. Phillips asking, with the addition of Bradley this week, are the Brewers now the favorites to win the NL Central? So I guess, you know, depending on where you looked, maybe they already were. Kind of, yeah. Um, So if you already... I don't know if he moves you a full win. So if you already came into this with them, like, slightly trailing the Cardinals, like I kind of did... Oh, I might get him like closest to even. Certainly gives him a better chance, but he's not like a two, you know a two win difference. He's like you know uh, just an upgrade, a marginal upgrade. But I mean, like Dakota had him as the favorite already, so that makes him a more solid favorite there. Um, it gives him a better chance. The the central is so close between the top three teams, at least that even marginal differences can matter a lot. And I mean, that's why you make a move like this in a close division. Um, you know, it's worth so much more to make the playoffs and that one game difference in a close race is worth just millions and millions of dollars. So, um, 
it, it it's not a huge changer, but I I like it gives them a certain an edge over what they were looking at before for sure. I mean, they could have been undone by a random Lorenzo Kane injury. Not even random. He's an old man. Like that could have undone right. their season. That could have cost them like three wins in a division that's probably going to be decided by less than three wins. Now it can't. So that's what you get here. Yep, that's exactly it. It nudges you a little bit further, and it. I think they were already. I don't know. I, I still kind of think they're not the favorite, but you know, probably need to just get over that. <laughs> I've hedged on that so much in recent years. Every time I'm like, I'm going to pick them to finish second and like a game behind first place every year. <laughs> and it's it's worked out pretty well for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys are right. And we've talked in recent weeks to, you know, the value of kind of adding those marginal wins, especially in a tight division race. And it's just really hard for a team like the Brewers to add multiple wins over where they were. Right. So this is the kind of move that they got to make to improve where they can. And, you know, sort of like the Colton Wong signing too, it, it kind of seems counterintuitive in a way too, right? Like they already have their outfielder set. They had a really good outfield. So let's add another outfielder. Uh, but you know, it, it kind of shows that, outside the box thinking, right? That you kind of need to yep. do when you're in the situation like the Brewers are and just trying to scrape together those extra wins over replacement. So, well, David Stern scoffs at any, you have too many infielders, you have too many outfielders, you have too many yeah. catchers. Like yeah. we're ignoring this from all time going forward. We're never right. going to say they're set at this position. In fact, right. we should do the opposite. Like we should just be looking at the free agents at their positions of strength going forward. <laughs> right exactly right. yeah right and you know this year especially too it's just going to be sort of like this war of attrition right where everybody's kind of just trying to make it through a full season after everything that happened last year so yep. fingers crossed is going to be yeah fingers crossed absolutely but you know if they do play a full 162 that depth is going to be really key mm -hmm. and you know we talked about the the pitching depth but that also goes to the position players and like you guys said lorenzo kane tends to be you know mildly injury prone you can kind of count on at least you know one injured list stint a year and this really helps make sure that they kind of cover that up if if that does happen and it looks like it will based on what we're already <laughs> seeing right so all right I, I guess another thought i had about this signing is maybe another ripple effect in you know ryan you were always saying about a, a week from now we could expect you know ryan braun to show up actually not even you you said march 10th right yep. so yeah, yeah. uh Indeed. doesn't doesn't seem likely now that a <laughs> there's not really that playing time and B they probably spent his money. Right. So, uh, <laughs> well, they weren't going to give him any money anyway. Like, let's be honest. Right, he was right, going to sign yeah. for like 1 million plus like a bunch of incentives right. for at bats. That was what sure. that was going to be. Sure. So I, I, it at least seems less likely now, but our next Patreon question comes from Brian Polakowski mm -hmm. and he's asking maybe a little bit different. What's the likelihood now on a Ryan Braun fifth outfielder farewell tour starting after the all-star game? I guess, Ryan, what, what are your thoughts on that mm. timeline? It just comes down to like what availability there is. It, it definitely goes down a lot if there's no DH, which seems right. to be the way it's headed. So th it yeah. seems extremely unlikely at this point. And maybe if we're getting out the tinfoil hats and conspiracies, remember, there was the uh, the the Bradley news came like immediately before the news that the Brewers were going to get 25 percent attendance. 
I in knew stands. you were going to bring this up. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, and we've, yeah. we've had all these things. So, like, if you want to get your tinfoil hat conspiracy on with this, mm-hmm. then, like, Ryan Braun, this yeah. also happened right at the same time that it became clear that there wasn't going to be a DH in the NL this year. So that kind of then opened them up and said, well, we're not really waiting for Ryan Braun to come back. So let's go out and get somebody that is actually really <laughs> useful to a team that doesn't have a DH. Right. I hear correlation is causation now. So I'm with yes. you. Yes. Oh. It all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's probably, yeah, it's probably, it's kind of unfortunate, but we're probably done. Ryan's probably done. So um, maybe that would happen. I don't know. I'm, I would have laughed at this question before this year, but uh, I've now seen uh, Jared Valdir um, come back to play for playoff teams <laughs> in, the, in the NFL as just a playoff mercenary. So um, I could see Ryan Braun being like a, a playoff mercenary for some team and keeping himself in halfway decent shape. And by some team, you mean the Brewers, because I, do. I don't think yeah. any other team would necessarily bother with him at this point. Would Is there any other team that might? I, I don't know. Yeah, Dodgers probably. The Dodgers probably much, would. Yeah. I yeah, don't. I honestly don't think good, they would though. The what if? I I think I would like to actually see Ryan Braun talk to Trevor Bauer. I I, <laughs> oh, I I would like to see Ryan Braun give one of his inspirational speeches, like right in front of Trevor Bauer's <laughs> face, and I see would, how that went. I would like to see Ryan Braun hit a 500 foot home run off of Trevor Bauer's. Well, we'd like all to like see. to see that too, but which we will in the NLDS this year after he yeah. signs in uh, September. He'll be one of the t- the two roster expansion players, <laughs> but the the lack of DH really does kind of kill that. Yeah. I think that uh, that was kind of your hope there, and it's it's not happening. So they don't need him. Yeah, tough to see eh. Ryan Braun forever still. Yeah, still gonna wear that jersey on opening day. Sorry. <laughs> All I right, should, I should probably get a new jersey. I think that's my. I have a weeks. I forgot about my weeks. Okay, I'm still uh, there. You there. go. It's a classic. Yeah, that's a I good also one. have a weeks. There we go. There you go. Two two weeks jerseys for Andy Schaff. We'll cross that one off the list too. All right. Uh, we already had some Patreon questions here, but a reminder that you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Five bucks a month. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get some reporting as eligible mini pods from Paul through the Packers offseason. And Paul actually has some special guests on for the main pod this week. Paul, you want to kind of give yeah. a little preview there? So we'll be talking with John Todd and Nathan Cooper uh, from Sports Info Solutions. They have just published their 2021 uh, rookie handbook for the NFL and um, SIS. We talk about it on the pod every once in a while. We, we delve in total points. But um, if you are like me, sort of um, aghast at the way drafts are covered um, and view all of the ESPN draft gurus like Todd McShane, Mel Kuyper as sort of just fortune-telling ninnies. SIS has a really good process to evaluate college players, project what skills are actually going to translate to the next level. And uh, it should be an interesting conversation. I actually ha- would highly recommend the book. I-, I drug it out and I actually got last year's to check out Jordan Love. They do a really nice job on um, all of their coverage. A, you better make that podcast title for that one, fortune-telling ninnies. I really like that. And B, I, I guess I'm not optimistic on what they thought about Jordan Love based on what you're teasing there. They had him rated as a future low-end starter. Oh, well, there you go. That, I think that's about better right. Than I yeah. Um, okay. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, be sure to look for the new Reporting as Eligible episode coming out this week, and you can get all that there. In the meantime, we do have some more Patreon questions to get to. 
Some still kind of related to Jackie Bradley Jr., some not. We'll start with Adam Post. He's asking, will any of the bench players without minor league options make the team? Uh, this kind of touches on the, the McKinney and Fisher <laughs> question we had before. He mentions yeah. those two, but also Robertson uh, primarily there. But there are also some other non-roster invites in the situation, too. So I guess, Ryan, any of those names you see making the opening day roster? Robertson. I think yeah, he has Rob- a very good chance. Yeah, I agree. That's it. Robertson will make it. Nobody else will. He's been playing a lot so far this spring. He has. And they've been working him in different spaces, too. Like, they definitely want to use him as a utility guy all over the field. Yeah. And small sample size spring training nonsense. But he actually looks pretty good. Um, Like, I don't know. I actually haven't looked at his stats. But whenever I've seen him, he's actually stung it pretty well. So, I don't know. Also doing better defensively at third base than Orlando Arcia is so far. So, there you go. (laughs) Man, that's been rough to watch, too. Uh, But, yeah, I, I guess... I would go Robertson there too. You know, we already kind of addressed the outfielders. That that's just a log jam that I think is pretty much well set up. Um, yeah, I don't think any of the, you know that same same deal with the catchers. You know, Hira and maybe Vogelbach <laughs> at first base. So you know, there's not a lot of room there other than Robertson, I think, or whoever yeah. wants to kind of take that super utility role. It, it might be really, between him and like Mark Mathias, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's really not a lot of surprises that can really happen in spring training absent an injury. Like they really are pretty set roster wise, pitching wise, um, and options and non options wise. It's going to be tricky for anybody to crack through that's in a vulnerable spot. It, it's just a deep roster. Um, and I don't know. It, it makes it hard for people who are just. And our eyes to do anything. Yeah, we're kind of not used to this with the yeah. Brewers where things are kind of pretty well set, right? Yep. And you're kind of like Packers preseason mode where it's like, okay, everything's set. Just please, God, don't get hurt. Really? It's so. like, there's like <laughs> same thing. Like there's like two slots available in football and less than that on the Brewers right now. So Right. All right. Well, Paul, you mentioned uh, spring training surprises. I, I guess I had one this week when uh, they sent Drew Rasmussen out for a second inning. Uh, in in one of his first appearances, <laughs> yeah, so. you were really surprised by that, and I was surprised by your I surprise. Was, yeah, I was. I guess maybe because in my mind they they're just kind of tunneling him towards this, uh, you know, dominant reliever role. But I mean, he he was a starter in college, right? And and this kind of leads us to Darren Jones's Patreon question. He said Craig Council mentioned this week that Drew Rasmussen is going to be stretched out to pitch multiple innings in what he was referred to as. <laughs> <laughs> the Brent Suter role, basically, which I, I kind of dig. So Darren's asking, among the bullpen options, who are the other candidates to serve as multi-inning relievers this season? I mean, kind of all of them. Right? All of them, but... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the way they're rolling, right? And this isn't new. Like, they've had multi-inning relievers for many, many years now. It's kind of their thing outside of having a designated closer, which they do. But Freddie's been doing this for a while now, too, um, along with Suter. It's kind of how they keep their random spot starters stretched out. And, you know, they're not married to the inning roles. They haven't been for a long time. So uh, anybody can do it if they're not the closer. And you'll probably see, I, I think maybe he will be a future, get a look at as a future starter, possibly. I think that's kind of how they audition young guys a little bit. Um, and uh, honestly, anybody who's not like the closer is going to be eligible to do this. 
And even the closer at times has done and even this the, in the closer past, at times. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hater did it when he was closing. It's not like Hater never 19. pitches multiple things. <laughs> Though in 20, he didn't. And that I think actually, I was going to say, Hater and Williams, I think probably are mostly just going to be one inning guys so that they're available on a more consistent basis. Because once you sure. get the two innings in, you are going to get at least a couple days off after doing that. You know, Absolutely. minimum of two days off at that point. So. I think that we're going to see more of that. But yeah, looking at the list here of guys, Suter, Peralta, obviously, uh, if Eric Yardley is out there, he will do this as a way to eat innings sometimes in maybe non uh, high uh, leverage situations. Topa, yep. I think, was going Opa. multiple innings yep. at points last year. They have Boxberger making it over Ask Me So Much. I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but I disagree with that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. Ray Black. Can go multiple innings. Eh, can he though? I mean, I don't know, I don't know that he. <laughs> <laughs> it, I guess blow. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, but it, just to cover yeah. innings, yeah. Right. No, and I, I guess I should clarify too. I was surprised to see Rasmussen. I guess stretched out for multiple innings this early in spring too, uh, but I guess that shows either sort of like what Paul was hinting at. Maybe they're looking at him as like an outside fifth starter candidate or they just really want to make sure he's stretched out early right so mm -hmm. i don't know it, but he was good in two innings yeah. and i think he's got the stuff to definitely succeed over you know multiple innings we'll see i guess down the line if he's kind of the emergency starter type like brent Suter. but i mean yeah. obviously he can do it for I mean, them so. i think if we're talking about multiple inning guys we're talking about guys who will occasionally go more than two innings because everybody will kind of sometimes go one and a third one and two thirds right. on this staff yeah. so the dividing line is really the guys that you might see there for three or even like 3.2 something like I'll that bet somewhere in the clubhouse they have these designated as um you know one time through the order guys uh sure. where you know up to three innings if you mow everybody yeah. down but you know two for sure right and sort of the to be that guy, you don't need like a third pitch. Although Rasmussen, I think, actually has starter stuff. But uh, you know, th those are just guys who you stretch out for endurance, and reliever stuff will get you through the order once. So that's fine. Yeah, the concern with Rasmussen is just that his college coach destroyed him physically, and yeah. that yeah, they don't think that there there isn't a widespread belief that he's ever going to be able to hold up to any sort of workload. So sure. he's always going to have to be managed carefully. But if yep. you're looking at it that way, the guys who are going to be like, uh two plus innings at various times. Peralta, Suter, Rasmussen, I think now joins that group potentially. And uh, I guess Alec Bettinger would be an outside guy a little bit further down, probably, well, definitely not to open the season, but could be rotated in there at some point to fill that role if he's pitching well in, well, I guess it would be now the uh, alternate site for the beginning of the season and then AAA after that. So yeah, such a mess. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought though that there's two different groups basically, you know, like you said the the one plus guys and then the uh two plus guys which is basically the the Freddy slash Suter line, right? So Yeah. I, I think that's a, actually a, a really smart way to look at that and I, I guess we'll see how much they let Rasmussen go given, you know, those uh, injury issues that Ryan talked about, but Oh, and you who else could fall stuff. back into that 3 plus they're the two plus group two is Lindblom. Lindblom could end up in that group if he doesn't stick as a starter. So yeah, there's true. a possibility there as well. Or while we're mentioning guys, uh, Adrian Hauser could end up falling into that group as well. I so. mean, literally anybody who's not. So as, as we said, 
Everybody. <laughs> yes, everybody. everybody. Yeah, everybody. All 20 guys can go multiple mm-hmm. endings. Yeah. Uh, all right. Darren also had a second question here, kind of talking about <laughs> the defense. I like, I like this because I, I don't think there is a definitive answer here. So Yeah. Okay. We'll, ha- we'll have some fun with this one. So Darren's second question is, among the candidates to make the current roster, yeah, which I think is the big qualifier here, what is the absolute best defensive lineup the Brewers could field? Paul, since you like this one so much, why don't you take it first? Uh, so it's hard because I think there's an open question as to who the best catcher is. Um, I think it's, I'm not sure who is better defensively between Yelich and Garcia at this point. Um, I mean, Yelich is not that far removed from playing center field, but I feel like he's declined somewhat substantially defensively. Um, and Garcia is his own thing and he's kind of a weird player. <laughs> so um, I, I think, uh, and also like first base, who, I mean, who knows? And third base also kind of who knows. So um, I'll go with, I'll go with Pena just because of the longstanding defensive reputation with him behind the plate and his ability to call games. I know Narvaez took huge steps forward last year and has looked good in spring training so far and thrown guys out even, but I'll, I'll go with Pena just by a hair at that spot. Kane, no, no question in center field and Bradley at one of the other two. Um, I will lean Garcia and doing that, I'll actually put Bradley in left and keep Garcia's gone out and right. Um, I'll go with Garcia just by a hair at shortstop. But again, this is another one that's really close, I think. Um, and if you wanted to make a case that Urias is better than him, given how Garcia's numbers have fallen off lately, um, I, I would, I, I'll buy that. But I'll go Garcia at short and Urias at third. I think that's probably your best defensive lineman on that side. Um, Colton Wong is a dynamo at second base. That's an easy one. And at first, I don't <laughs> know. Um, Big Dan. The answer is probably actually Travis Shaw. Um, because yeah. oh. Dan is Dan is a butcher, and Gaston Hira is playing it for the first time and is tiny. So um, I And then do we care about pitchers, pitchers fielding? Because I have no idea. So I, I don't know. Zach Davies Memorial uh, pitching <laughs> fielding award. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know who the best defensive pitcher on the team is. I'll pay attention and see if I can figure it out. But I think that's it. So I, I think I think it's Urias, Arcia, Wong, Shaw, um, Bradley, Kane, um, uh, Garcia, and Pena. Give me Narvaez because I do think that the the step forward that he took last year in terms of framing is real, and he it it does just place him at the top of the heap just. In baseball last year, he was the number one rated defensive catcher by baseball prospectus. It's I'll hard take to my believe. Three year, I'll take my three-year weighted mean over the 60-whatever <laughs> game last yes. year. Thank you. No, but I mean, like you said, it's close. And I, I think you can make a case either way there. I hadn't thought about your angle on the Shaw thing. I think that's absolutely correct. And it does allow me then to have uh, Urias at third base. And then Arcia and Wong. Obviously, Wong's the no-brainer up the middle. I think my outfield is a little bit different than yours. And the reason being, I, I am going to keep Avi in right in this one because Avi is, well, he was playing center field last year, not incompetently, and he has 30 <laughs> pounds off of his keister at this point. So, yep. like, that was the arm, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, that seems to indicate well. I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is probably purely a better defensive center fielder than uh, Kane at this point. And hmm. I, would, I would go with him in center and then Kane in left. And obviously this is just pure defense. So it's not taking into account the other things, but 
I think that would give you the best defensive lineup for what they have. I wonder when the last time Lorenzo Cain played left field was. Well, remember when he was on the Royals, they used <laughs> oh, to. Oh, here we go him. with the Dad U.S. Royals again. No, yeah, they, yeah okay. they used to bump him over for uh, Jared Dyson. That was the yeah. guy that, and who's apparently yeah. going back there now. So, yeah, they used to bump him for Jared Dyson, who was just pure speed and uh, defensive ability, and that's all he really brought to the table. So there you go. Yeah, I could see that. I I think you guys are all right though that. You know, in a purely defensive situation, Yelich is probably the odd man out now in the in the outfield, uh, whether that's, you know, loss of range or his noodle arm in left field that irritates me from time to time. But <laughs> but it just doesn't matter, too, because he's still no. a pretty good left fielder. I mean, he yeah, is. Yeah. Just comparatively speaking, when you've got Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley in the same outfield, somebody's got to give there and you're exactly. not going to play Yelich in right field. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's interesting that you both went with Arcia at shortstop, kind of given what we've seen. But I think part of the issue, too, is like we just don't know if Luis Urias can play shortstop yet. And we haven't really seen it. Right. Like we're waiting that's a problem to see it. Too. Yeah. 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 And still waiting because he got hurt again. And that this latest hamstring issue seems to be kind of minor, but doesn't really do a lot of uh, good for my optimism that the, uh, you know, five, nine hundred and fifty pound guy is going to hold up very well. So uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out. A reminder, we also put out a call for questions on our Twitter account at MKETLgate. We put that out every single week. So if you have a question and you're not a patron, just go ahead and reply to that tweet and we'll try to get to it too when we have time. You can also tweet direction, uh, tweet questions to us individually. <laughs> Uh, directions too, I suppose. Right is at RD Top, <laughs> Paul is at Badger Noonan, and I'm at James L. Uh, got a few questions here too. Another defensive question. This one comes from Kip Faircloth. He says the Brewers' front office seems to put a high price on defense this year over offense. Mm-hmm. What do you think they are seeing in the league to drive this strategy? I know Paul, you maybe kind of hinted at this with the ball thing, but do you want to take this one first? Sure. Um, I, I don't know if it's actually the ball, although I everybody's curious about the ball. And if they haven't actually tested it and done some calculations and figuring on it, I would actually be surprised. So um, if they are predicting a bit of a down offensive year, that would be one reason to do it. But I also think when you see any team doing this kind of thing, it's what they could it's how they could build the team um, in a an economically viable fashion. And it's what was available there. So, th- yes, they've put a. a uh, they've highlighted defense, but they signed Colton Wong, I think, because a he's a good player that was available at their price more than anything else. And the fact that he happens to be good at defense at second base, maybe a little bit of an underrated skill. I mean, you don't really talk about second baseman's defensive chops that much. It's kind of an under the radar one, and that might be why you get him. And Jackie Bradley Jr., I think other teams didn't want him. His, his bat doesn't really play profile-wise in many places. Um, Fenway and Miller are some of the only ones. And um, outfielders are also, you know, pretty available. And he is a kind of a unique skill set. He's a, a center fielder with a lightish bat that plays up there. And that just happens to make them a good defense. So um, they have a great pitching staff. This leans into that. It keeps them at a reasonable budget. Not cheap. I can't really accuse them of being cheap anymore. Um, and uh, I, I think they're just really flexible in how they decide they're going to add value. And it looks like they added for defense, maybe partially because of the ball, maybe partially because that's just um, how the winds are blowing. But I think that's what they they looked at and saw was available. And 
that's just how it, the chips kind of fell, and that's what they're going with now. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to find out if they were one of the five teams that added a humidor. Mm. Let's. It really will be. That's a very interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, because we know that five teams apparently were adding it. There were five before now, and we only know a few of them. We know in Arizona and we know in Colorado, yeah. but we don't really know more than that. If that is true, and then you you could start kind of retrofitting the stuff back and and come up with uh, retroactive fitting explanations. But I think the number one thing here is it's what was available. Yeah. These were the players that were available to them, and so they went with it, and they're perfectly willing to do that. But I think also when they looked at it, they looked at themselves as being particularly in a good position to take advantage of that skill set by having such a deep pitching staff where they know that they have these guys who can go out and produce for them kind of up and down in all aspects of their pitching staff. And so to play that up by getting good defenders behind them just makes all the sense in the world. You know, it doesn't make as much sense if you have a really crappy pitching staff that's going to give up you know a ton of home runs. But right again, if you think that there's going to be fewer home runs for whatever reason, and if you think that, uh, your guys are going to be in a particular position to take advantage of that. It does make sense to do this, and that seems to be the direction that they're headed. So, but mostly, I think it's just those were the guys who were most available to them. <laughs> I do think last year too is kind of maybe eye-opening in a way. Uh, a that they struggled so much offensively, but B like the the pitching was just so good. And granted it was a weird season and we shouldn't make too many judgments off it. Cause everybody's offense sucked, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, the brewers largely won last year because of their pitching and, and low scoring games. And so it wouldn't surprise me to hear that maybe that became the shift, you know, especially knowing it was easier to add those guys than it is to add power. Now these days, right. Yeah. Power is, is just so expensive to add these days. It's, mm-hmm probably more cost effective to swing the other way and go pitching and defense and yep. you know these are kind of the the peaks and valleys that we see with baseball and their economy from time to time too so just, just watch them steal a couple hundred bases too <laughs> just to just to throw it in yeah exactly oh man okay uh well i guess speaking of offense our next twitter question comes from zach darenzio i hope i said your name right i think i did Maybe not. Uh, anyway, Zach's question is, who do you think has the best offensive season of the possible starting infielders between Urias, Arcia, and Wong? This is kind of an interesting question, Ryan. Who you got? I'm going to stay consistent and bet on the breakout from my guy, Luis. Mm-hmm. So okay. we'll, we'll stick with that and say he's going to have the best season of the three. <clears throat> I, I, will, yeah. I will. I will. I already to, know how Paul uh, yeah. feels about RCS. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Colton Wong here, who is yeah. moving from a disastrous pitcher's park into a much better hitter's park, um, and is you know not a world beater with his bat, but is a pretty good hitter. Uh, if Urias or Arcia ever hit as good as Colton Wong ever, that will be a huge plus for the team. Um, <laughs> fortunately, they already have Colton Wong, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and he's you know typically hit well at uh, American Family Field too. So there's that. Hopefully, you know, going to there full time really helps. I, I guess I'm skeptical on Urias and Arcia is what he is at this point. You know, 15 home runs if you're lucky and a lot of swing and miss. And yeah. 
I'll go with yeah. 19, 19 home runs, all solo, all trailing by seven runs or more, all in the sixth <laughs> inning or later. Ah, the classic, classic Orlando RCL line. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clearly Colton Wong on this question too. But, you know, if Urias breaks out, then the Brewers are having a really good year, and we will definitely take that. All right, uh, next Twitter question comes from Scott <laughs> Rob Portal. Also uh, a great at- question. Yes, this is actually probably my favorite question we've got this week. So he's asking how many Cy Youngs would Dave Bush hold had he pitched in the Stearns Council era where he'd be protected from the Dave Bush sixth inning implosion? Ryan, how many Cy Youngs does Dave Bush Dave Bush win in yeah, that scenario? He would have been so <laughs> much of a better pitcher in this era. Did you guys know he's, he's considered one of the better pitching coaches in the game? I think he's with the Red Sox at this point. I believe that's correct. He is, yeah. Yeah, and he is considered one of these the the guys who does a very good job of blending the stuff coming from the front office and the stump stuff coming from the video and all of these things and blending it all together and figuring out how to make it work. And that doesn't surprise me one bit based on who he was with the Brewers. I remember being super excited when they got him because I had just learned about dips theory at that point. <laughs> and he was a guy who had, for the time, if you look at it now, you're like, He'd like a strikeout rate of like seven. Well, at the time, guys, that was actually really good for starting pitchers. That was yeah. like well above average. But he had like a a close to three to one strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah, and that was he never walked anyone. Really good in that era. And yes, he had he had the problem with the home run ball, which yeah, that that was part of the deal. That's why he wasn't like an ace. But he did the other stuff well enough that it could work for him. And yes, if they had known about this and had been protecting him from having to face batters a third time through, he would have been a really, really solid starter in the mold of, I don't know, Nathan Eovaldi or something a few years ago. They're not the same, <laughs> not the same stuff, obviously, right. but yeah, a guy who's protected from, from having to go very deep into games. Yeah. Um, no one almost threw no hitters better than Dave Bush. And <laughs> Matt <laughs> stares, you bastard. Matt stares in the seventh inning every single time. Right? Yep. Yeah. Always got him. So he, first of all, he was a good pitcher. Like even aside from maybe he could have been better. He was really good. And I have bad news for everybody listening right now. Um, and that is I pulled Uh-oh. up I pulled up his splits um for times facing opponents in a game. And the first time through the order, opponents had a seven ninety five OPS against. And the third time through the order they had a 798 OPS against, which are statistically insignificant differences. Uh, He was actually better at keeping guys off base the third time through than the first time through. And uh, that's actually slightly more important OPS wise. So he's probably actually a little better. What about the Um, second time through? Was that he was, he was best second time through. They had a 436. Oh, sorry. 739 OPS against the second time through. So he's actually very Um, consistent after that. Then it was very good because those were when he was generally cruising. Yeah, fourth time he was 746, so he's kind of bopping yeah. around back and forth between that. So he really didn't have huge times through the order splits. Huh. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with um, with everybody. And I agree with the person who asked the question. I, I lost the, uh, the rundown right now. But um, <laughs> it, it seemed like he got rocked a ton third time through the order. Yes, Scott. Um, but uh, no, not the case. Weird. Surprising. Good, good job, Dave. <laughs> now, now that you mentioned those those times through the order splits i do like seem to recall he was either shelled in the first inning or he would cruise until like the sixth inning so i guess that kind of makes sense too but 
I freaking love Dave Bush back in the day. And that curveball is still like one of the most beautiful curveballs I've ever seen. So it, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he's a pitching coach either. So it, I don't know. It, he, do you think he, he still wears my the high socks? I hope so. Oh, I hope so. I really do. Do I pitching heard... coaches wear high socks? That's kind they of what should. I was wondering. Yeah. Can they get away with that? Or do they have to be like the old man at that point and not do anything so, fun eh, and whatever. cool and young? Just, yeah. just, just looking at his splits a little bit more in depth, I think he had trouble with the top of the order. Um, yeah. That looks like that where his sense. problems lies. On his uh, pitches 1 through 25, hitters had a 527 i'm sorry a 904 ops against a 527 slugging now that's probably not that unusual for a starting pitcher because you face the meat of the order as a given there so i shouldn't speak too much about it without checking out what the rest of it is but um he's much better on pitches 26 50 51 through 75 um and actually 76 to 100 he's actually uh really good 751 ops against it even when he's starting to run out of gas so um I, I, I could see him with his stuff being being the kind of guy who has trouble with elite hitters, but is able to junk his way past you know the averages of the the world. Kind of Brent Sudery a little bit there too. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, and like I said, I I really like Dave Bush, and maybe that was just because like comparatively speaking, we were also watching like Doug Davis and Claudio Vargas at the same time. <laughs> so like a Dave Bush who barely walked anybody picked up playoff a win on the strikeouts. He got the play, the lone playoff win in 2008. That'll forever be one of my favorite tri- trivia questions. Yeah. Doug Davis was not aesthetically pleasing, but he was a pretty good pitcher for the Brewers. He was. He was that time. Yeah. Like 200 was, strikeouts a couple of times. Like he was actually pretty good. Yeah, really good was, fastball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an inning eater in an era when yeah. that was still like a thing guys could be if they were sort of average. Right. And a great goatee. And that's what mattered in the <laughs> early yes. to mid 2000s. Yeah. All right. One last Twitter question. This one comes from Mark Podscarby. Uh, maybe we kind of already address, addressed this, but he's asking who plays left field on the few days that Yelich gets off. Uh, did we settle on Jackie Bradley on this? I guess, Ryan, your thoughts. Yeah, I think it is Jackie Bradley. Even if I do think that Bradley is better than Kane defensively, Council does not want to mix that up and no. <laughs> create create an issue there. So you're going to see Bradley in the corners a lot more. Though I will yeah. say, you'd probably, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. We we don't know what Yelich's platoon split situation is going to be, but you would think he would be more likely to get days off against lefties than righties, but maybe not. <laughs> that's Who knows exactly what that's going to be? Unless my stupid theory is true, then not. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's going to, it's, Jackie Bradley will be in left. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of weird to have like a strong-armed, super-gun right fielder, like an actual specialized right fielder, I feel like I never have to think about that. So I was like, just stick anybody in the corners. Who cares? But no, Avi Garcia is actually like a true right fielder's right fielder. So he'll be there. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. Right. And, you know, obviously Yelich probably isn't going to get many days off anyway. So I, I think what you're going to see more likely is, you know, the Kane days off or the, the Garcia days off too. But I, I would agree. Like Bradley put him in left field. You have a really, really good defensive outfield on those days too. And you don't really look back from there. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think we'll also probably see uh, Daniel Robertson a little bit out and left. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if he kind of plays everywhere too. Sure. Why not? Yep. <laughs> Why not? 
<laughs> if Mark Matthias can be a corner outfielder, why can't Robertson? I guess. Sure. It's, it, it's a very, very good point. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for all the questions this week, guys. If you haven't already, uh, please do sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate reminder. You get the question priority there. Every time uh, we do an episode, you also get those perks, the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, uh, we might R- be doing Ryan and who? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Force a habit. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Brad. Still uh, having the time of his life out in Arizona. Having the time of his life in Arizona. Uh-huh. Died of happiness. Uh, Ryan and James. Not me. The other James. I can James see why Ed. you would have forgotten that name. Makes sense. Yeah, I try to forget my own name all the time. Um, so yeah, sign up five bucks a month. You get the minor league extra with Ryan and James. You also get. Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, uh, all sorts of other perks too. We've got the, are we doing the fantasy league this year? Should I ask this year? Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. <laughs> In development, maybe, uh, even if you don't want the minor league extra two bucks a month, you get that question priority, still a good deal. Yep. Uh, we give a shout out to when you sign up, I cannot guarantee that Ryan will pronounce your game name correctly, but We'll give it a shot. Oh, there's and... probably a better than 50-50 chance it won't be correct. Yeah. I yeah. think the history so. of the show, it's a bit at this point. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if your name is Smith and you sign up, we'll just mispronounce Smythe. it. We'll call purpose. you Smythe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a Smythe. It's a soccer thing. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, reminder, sign up to become a patron. Uh, also, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, basically anywhere. Hit the subscribe button, and while you're there, leave us a review. Uh, we're going to wrap it up this week. Uh, see you next time uh, after another week of spring training action. Hopefully nobody else gets hurt. Maybe they'll sign somebody else. Who knows? Uh, but have a good <laughs> week. Uh, stay well, everybody, and we'll see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.